0: good morning again. It's been great to hear from our students. You're at work and um, you notice that a co- co-worker of yours is, is doing something unethical. They're cutting some corners and it's going to cost the boss. You notice this and they ask you to be quiet, not to say anything. What do you do? You're um, at school and a group of your friends are gathered together and and they're going, and the conversation is going in a direction that you don't really feel comfortable in. They're they're telling a lot of dirty jokes. Everybody's laughing. Do you join in and laugh along with them? Your neighbor across the street um, pulls you aside when you're out in the lawn and says, "Hey, my husband, he's going to be gone all week. There's a chemistry we have. Why don't you come over tomorrow night? Nobody's going to know. It won't hurt anything." Do you go? You're taking a test, you crammed at the last minute, you really didn't study well, and you get into the test, you realize it's not going very well. But you notice that you're sitting next to somebody who always is prepared, the smartest kid in the class, always ready. And as luck would have it, their hand is over here, and you're seated here, clear view of the page. Do... Do you look? Your boyfriend and you have been going together for a long time. He says that he loves you. He says, what's the harm? He says, tomorrow night, let's hook up. You know what that means? Do you, do you, do you show up? You know, every day, these scenarios may not relate to some of you, but every day we face situations where we have a choice. We can make a decision. Will we compromise our faith and our beliefs? Will we cave to pressure to avoid consequences or rejection or whatever it might be? Or do we stand firm in our faith and honor God no matter the cost? Today our sermon series is continuing. We're looking at summer vacation stories. And what we're doing is looking at stories from Scripture, Old Testament and the New Testament. And stories of individuals or a group of people who took a journey. Some of these journeys were long. Some of them were short. But all of them have something profound for us to take away. And today we come to the story, a well-known story, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Between services, uh, somebody pulled me aside and said that when they came here a long time ago, another pastor used to say uh, jokingly, if you have a hard time with the names, just say, my shack, your shack, and a bungalow. We, we we won't do that today. But we're we're looking at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego, and um, they have a choice. They they are in a situation where they have to make a decision. They can go God's way or they can go their own. And and the stakes are very very high. It's life or with compromise or death with no compromise. Now a little bit of backstory here. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their good friend Daniel, the book's named after Daniel, were among a group of, of people uh, in Israel. And a few years earlier, they had been overrun by the Babylonians. They were like the, 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 the big power in the area. And they overran them and they, they slaughtered a lot of people and then they, they picked out others and they said, okay, you're, that one's smart. He's good looking. He's strong. She's pretty. And they said, we're going to take them. We're going to march them a thousand miles to what is now... Um, Iraq and so they marched them there uh, maybe in chains or roped together who knows but it wasn't a very pleasant experience they marched them on this journey that they didn't want to go on to a place they did not want to to arrive at and they get there and they face more challenges they discover that they're supposed to learn a new language they're supposed to learn a new culture they're supposed to eat and drink different foods and wine some of them which they felt would defile them which was against their faith and they they were in a culture in a situation where everything, almost everything was contrary and hostile to what they believed and what they felt and what they knew was right. It was, it was contrary to their identity. They were given new names even to try to assimilate them and break them down and make them Babylonian. It's sort of analogous to think of it this way. Um, say, God forbid this happens, but say ISIS overruns the U.S. Uh, they defeat. They they kill a lot of people, and then they say we're going to take the best and the brightest of the young people, which would include our people, of course, and say we're going to march you about a thousand miles, and and when you get there, you have to learn a new language. You cannot speak English anymore. You have to. We're going to give you a new name. You can't be called by whatever your name is. It's, we're going to give you a new name. Uh, we're going to. Um, you're going to learn a new culture, and you can no longer worship. Christ you have to worship now the God that we tell you to worship if you don't we'll cut your heads off which actually is not hypothetical for some people in the world today as we know but if you do compromise if you you just kind of take choose the way of the easy way well everything's going to go fine with you we will promote you we will assimilate you and you'll have a good life That's a situation that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego found themselves in a a tough situation. And in Daniel chapter three, they come to a place where they have to make a choice. Now, get a little bit of backstory about these three. As we know from Daniel chapter one, that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and Daniel, they were part of this special group. They were apparently bright and good looking and intelligent and just just good potential leaders. And so the Babylonians picked them out and with others and said, we're going to educate you for three years. You're going to learn our language. You're going to learn our culture. We're going to teach you all sorts of things and about sciences and math and astrology, all these things. And then we're going to test you at the end of those three years. And if you're good enough, you're going to be promoted and your life will be good and it'll be easy. And apparently they did pretty well. Uh, In in Daniel one, we see that they also faced another situation. They were asked to eat certain foods and drink certain things and And they said, We will not do that. It'll defile us. We don't know why that would have been. Maybe it was offered to idols, or maybe they didn't drain the blood like the Hebrews would from the meat. We don't know, but they chose not to eat these things. And they actually passed the test, they're promoted. So now we come to Daniel chapter 3. And something we can take from this is, is we're not just dropping into this story. Earlier in their lives, they had made other choices. Maybe not life or death choices, but they had made choices not to compromise, not to conform. And I think the lesson for us, first lesson for us, is that the more we take a stand for Christ, maybe not the easier it's going to be, but the less likely we are to compromise because God will honor us. God will empower us and help us to make choices. The inverse of that is true also. The more we compromise on the little things, the more likely we are con- going to continue to compromise. And when a big choice comes, we're likely to fail the test. So we come to this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we know the story. There's this huge golden statue raised up. And, 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 and I guess Nebuchadnezzar wanted to kind of unify the people and assimilate all these captives from different lands. And says, you all have to worship my God. When the music plays, bend your knee, say yes, and all will go well with you. And... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't do it. And they get noticed. And they must have been pretty valuable people because Nebuchadnezzar doesn't just chop their heads off right away, doesn't throw them in the fire right away. He gives them another chance. He says, maybe you didn't notice this, but we'll give you another chance. You do it this time. The music plays, you drop to the knee, you say yes. All will be well. All will be forgotten. No problem. No skin off my back. But they tell him this. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Hmm. So one simple act. Drop the knee. They don't have to sing the songs. They just have to drop the knee. And their nightmare and potential death is gone. And they'll be restored to the positions of influence and maybe even get promotions. But they will not bend the knee. Nebuchadnezzar, understandably, isn't very happy with this. It says that his attitude, his face changed towards them. He was furious. And he tells them, heat this furnace up seven times, which I don't know how hot that is, but. Basically saying, make this furnace hotter than it's ever been. Make it as hot as you can make it. Imagine these three guys. I mean, they were, at the time, they were probably college age, maybe early, mid-twenties. They've made their choice. They said, we're not compromising. But they see the fire getting made hotter and hotter. They can feel the heat. And they know that the end is near. Every exit is closed. There's no escape pod, no way to get away. And they're not superheroes. They're not impervious to heat. They're filled with courage, a little bit of fear, probably, but a lot of faith. And as they're being hauled towards the furnace, they see the guards who are hauling them there collapse from the heat and die. And then they're in the fire. And they wait to feel the searing pain and And to be overwhelmed by the smoke in their lungs, but nothing happens. They don't feel any different. It begins to dawn on them that they're not even warm. No burns, no smoke, and the ropes around their hands and feet, and they're burned away. But they're not burned. Their skin is untouched. But that's not the best part. The best part is what happens to turn us from a miracle into a divine encounter. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement. Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? His advisor said, Certainly there were, King. He says, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of God. Now, it doesn't say specifically who this fourth person is, but most uh, Bible scholars and, and teachers and preachers believe that it was Jesus, and I think it was Jesus. And I wonder what they said to each other in the fire. I wonder if Jesus told them how how proud he was of their loyalty and devotion and commitment to the Lord. I wonder if he told them that their names would be remembered for centuries because of their 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 courage in the face of persecution. I wonder if we told them that countless people would be inspired and strengthened by hearing their story. On the other side, I wonder what they said to Jesus. I'm sure they poured out their thanks and their adoration and worship. They'd come to this place planning to withhold worship from a false God. And the end of worshiping the one true God as they would never had before. And the furnace, which looked like the end of their life, ends up being the greatest thing that they ever experienced. Because the furnace turns out to be the place where they meet God, really meet God. God meets them in the furnace. That's the way it is today for us a lot of times. Sometimes God will deliver us from the furnace. He can do that. Sometimes he will. Sometimes he doesn't. I don't claim to understand why. But but God will deliver us in the midst of the furnace. He will meet us in the furnace in a powerful way, in an incredible way. I mean, C.S. Lewis says this about suffering and pain. He says that God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. And so the furnace ends up being what looks to be like certain death ends up being a place of amazing life and experience with God, the risen Christ. Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God come out. So they come out of the fire and, and all these other politicians and political cronies and, and government officials crowd around them and, and they see that the, the fire has not harmed their bodies, that there's none of their hairs are singed, their robes aren't scorched, and there's not even a hint of, of smell of, of fire or smoke on them. Not like the cozy inn. When you go there, you come out and you just, it just reeks. So I wish we could go there and not smell that way, but that's how it works. And the Nebuchadnezzar then says in verse eight, praise be to the goddess Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's orders. This is amazing. It starts, the chapter starts with Nebuchadnezzar threatening them and saying, you must bow down and worship my God. And at the end of the chapter, it ends up with Nebuchadnezzar worshiping their God. In fact, he goes so far as to compliment them and says, you defied my orders. And then he goes on to say that any people who, do not, who say something bad, Against the God of Israel, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are to be cut in pieces and their house, turned into piles of rubble. Not exactly a, a big guy on freedom of worship, it looks like. For no other God can save this way. And then he promotes them. Doesn't just restore them, doesn't just spare their lives, but he promotes them and gives them more power and more influence. Now, we don't know what the rest of their lives looks like. The Bible doesn't mention Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. We don't really know what happens to them the rest of their lives. Um, I wonder if maybe when they were older, they would get together on the day of the fiery furnace day and probably have a barbecue. I don't know. Um, Flame broiled steaks, something like that. Uh, and they would tell stories they remember and kind of bonded over that moment. They would pull out the old robes which their wives and probably try to throw away because they're out of date and had holes in them. And they would remember when they were young men and they were full of courage and full of faith when they had stood strong for God and defied the king. But most importantly, they would remember the time they walked around in the flames with the living God, Jesus Christ. They would have taken that moment, that memory to them, they would have taken that moment to the grave. The worst moment of their lives potentially ended up being the best because they met God. Now, the danger for us in the 21st century is, is this as followers of Christ in this country, even though we complain and we still have a pretty good compared to most of the world. And it's the danger can be for us is that our primary goal can really become avoiding the furnace And our prayer can be something simply, God, deliver me from pain, discomfort, suffering and inconvenience. Make my life smooth and easy. Make my life comfortable. Make it pleasant. Remove obstacles from me. We we avoid even the low-level flames, just the simmering stuff. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we are to seek out the furnace. We, you know, we shouldn't feel guilty that we are blessed to live in this time, and this place, but We shouldn't make it our primary goal to have an easy life, a good life, a comfortable life. Our goal should be to radically and consistently and faithfully follow Jesus Christ. To journey with him through life, to grow in our dependence upon him, our trust in him, our experience of him as a risen Lord. Knowing full well that as we do so, that there'll be times when we are led into the furnace, that we end up in the furnace, but also knowing full well that Jesus will without a doubt, meet us in the furnace. James says this in his letter, consider it pure joy when you experience suffering and trials and persecution. Isn't that amazing? doesn't say he sought it out, but when he experienced it, it said it's, it's pure joy because that's when you experience God the most powerfully in your life when you're in the furnace. Second Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul says this, it says it was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what it is. It was in boss of speculation, probably some sort of physical uh, ailment. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this thorn away from me. Three times God said no. But then God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. In other words, I'm going to meet you in the furnace and you'll know me in a powerful way that that you would not without this thorn. If you know anything about Paul in his life, after his conversion, he lived in the furnace most of the time. God calls us to a life of faith, a dangerous life, a risky life, because that's what faith is about, right? It's a risk. We don't know everything. We don't know exactly what God is doing and why he does it sometimes. But we know enough, we've experienced enough to take a step in faith, take a risk, for him, and that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. That's what God is calling us to do. To be, to be people of a greater dependence upon him, of greater faith, and greater trust. Now you might be thinking, there's no golden statues in our world. There's not one built in Washington, D.C., or, or Topeka, or here in Salina, and that's right. But let's be honest, there are gods that we worship in our culture, Right? Things like comfort and ease and security and success, the acclaim of people. Let me put it to you this way. How many heroes of the faith in the Bible had an easy life? Only one I can think of maybe would be Enoch, the Old Testament guy, walked with the Lord, and just kind of walked on to heaven, didn't die. But just about every other hero of the faith had some tough things in their lives. Hebrews 11 is called the chapter the Hall of Faith," And it says things like "They endured flames and being pierced with spears and sawed in two and crucified, and all sorts of other things: famine, famine, nakedness, all these other things that all these and, and yet doesn't say, "And they had a great life." And where does Jesus say to his followers, "God has a wonderful plan for your life." And that involves a great house, an attractive spouse. Great, successful kids, a terrific job, a wonderful car, great vacations, and an endless succession of easy days. No, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Dylan quoted a verse, if you want to gain your life, you must lose it for my sake. If you try to gain it in this world, you'll lose it. Jesus says, follow me. And you'll have this great big God who goes with you. And you'll experience outrageous joy the world can't understand. And you're going to be in trouble a lot of the time. And people have followed Christ by the hundreds of thousands, the millions since. Following the same path that he took. Servanthood, sacrifice, community, suffering, persecution, even to the point of death. God calls us to follow him. And even when it means we're in the furnace, he promises us that he will meet us there. I conclude with this promise from Isaiah 43. God says this to the people of Israel who knew what it was to be in exile. Fear not. Though you pass through the flames, they will not burn you. They will not destroy you. Let's be people of a risky faith of no compromise. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we we begin by thanking you for your word, which challenges us at times, comforts us at times. And today it's pretty challenging, but it's also comforting, Lord, because we know that you'll be with us. Lord, we confess and I confess there have been times when I've taken the easy way. I've not always Wanted to pray, Lord, stretch my faith, help me to grow in my understanding of dependence upon you. Um, Lord, use my life no matter what it costs me. Those are hard things to pray. Lord, help us to be people who can pray those that way. To not take it for granted when we do have a pretty blessed life. But also to be willing to go into the furnace if it means we'd have to compromise or deny you. We thank you, Father, for the example of these three young men who said no to Nebuchadnezzar, a man who held their lives in his hands, but said yes to you, and in so doing experienced the most amazing adventure and experience of their lives, an encounter with the risen and, and alive in and Jesus Christ. We ask this through his name.